0: Good evening. What a great opportunity this is. It's always a a great pleasure of ours as a church to, to be able to come together and witness baptism of individuals that profess faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord Jesus gave the church two ordinances to carry out throughout its ministry on this earth. One, of course, is is communion, where we spend time around the communion table worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ's death on our behalf, and we, we reflect upon our own sin and what Christ has accomplished for our sin. The other one is baptism, and we are called as Christians to go and to make disciples, and then when someone believes on Jesus Christ, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, representing what God has done in their life through resurrection. And so that is what we'll witness tonight, the waters of baptism are a great joy for us as a church. They don't do anything for the person by way of their spiritual condition, but they represent exactly what the Lord has done with them in their heart. And so you'll hear from each one of these men who will be baptized tonight and their testimonies, and then it'll be our joy to baptize them and then fellowship a little later. So as we begin, let me just open it a word of prayer, and then we'll have our first. Um, Father, we do thank you for tonight, what a, what a joy it is, what a privilege it is to be able to witness your working in the hearts of men. Lord, we know it's easy <clears throat> for men to say words, to profess things, to claim things that they believe, and certainly intellect is involved with salvation, and yet real belief happens in the heart, the heart of men, which is reflected in a changed life. And so I pray tonight that the testimonies we hear is a reflection of that in their heart, the joy of Jesus Christ changing them, the, the joy of resurrection, the new birth. And we just rejoice with that and we, we are thrilled to just be a part of their lives that we can encourage them and, and help direct them as you have given us your word and given us the opportunity to to be in their lives. So tonight we pray that you would be honored through it all. We thank you for our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: All right, good evening, everyone. So as most of us do, uh, I have a really long testimony, but I'm going to keep it short because today isn't about me. It's about Christ and what he's done in my life. Um, I'm Sebastian Mosier. I've been coming here for about a year now. Uh, my parents are Justin Joe sitting over there. My brother's behind him, so um, At the age of 13, I was baptized, and I professed faith in Jesus, uh, but I turned away from the faith multiple times throughout my teens and plummeted into a deep abyss filled with lies lust, drugs, and a non-repentant heart. After coming to terms with a deeply rooted fear of hell, I began to ask questions and seek counsel. I remember the first time I attended FBC with my parents. I didn't really like the hymns. I didn't understand Terry's persistent use of the word gospel. To be completely honest, I thought this was an Amish church. <laughs> but the thought of eternity continued to leave me restless and hungry for answers. Luke eleven nine reads, Seek and you will find... So that's what I did. And for months, I researched everything I could about every religion, including, as Brandon would say, the religion of science. Not long after, God began to answer my many questions and reveal himself to me. Not through signs and wonders like I had assumed, but through scripture. After realizing what kind of a sinful creature I am and how holy and magnificent our creator is, I sought repentance and was soon after left both breathless and captivated by his grace and by his mercy. Within months, I would look forward to singing hymns, hearing Terry preach the gospel, playing hockey on Saturday nights with the men from the church, and looking at Tim and Russ's beards in awe. (laughs) I can't explain what happened to me, but I can give you five examples of what that change looked like. I used to wake up depressed and go to bed anxious. Now I wake up with energy to work and serve the Lord and go to bed debating famous atheists in my head. I used to sin against God and distract myself with the many vices of the world so I wouldn't have to feel the guilt. Now I pray and seek forgiveness from God who remembers to forget. I used to think I deserved more than what I had. Now I eat TV dinners like it's lobster, remembering every second is a gift from God. I used to flip to random pages in the Bible and pretend I was the hero, wondering how many Philistines I would kill and how I could interpret the Bible to fit my own circumstances. Now I read the Bible to have fellowship with God, trying to understand the historical and theological context. I used to get really angry at things that aren't worth getting angry about, Now I still get angry about things I shouldn't be angry about because I'm a sinner. Every day is still a battle and the path of sanctification is a mountain we're called to climb, but now I have hope, hope in Christ and his eternal plan for my life. First John 1 7 reads, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. This is why I'm here. The food at men's breakfast is amazing. The loving kindness from all the members of this church is immeasurable, as well as the phenomenal leadership. But I'm here because Christ died in my place. All I know is that before I was spiritually dead, and now, because of Him, I'm alive.
0: He's filling the whole tub. <laughs> Are you glad you're in an Amish church? Now? <laughs> be in your life,
2: Good evening. How is everybody? Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, My name is Mark Buck, and I'm here to give my testimony about what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Um, As a kid, I grew up in Nashville, New Hampshire. Um, I lived with my parents, uh, my mom and my stepdad, Alan, who's in the front row here. Um, I was taken by the state. Uh, shortly after um put into foster care due to um what they deemed dysfunctionality in the home unfit parents um growing up in foster care was rough um I was bullied picked on abused physically and mentally um and I was in foster care till I was about 18 years old um and then I moved uh, back I knew where my mom lived so I moved back with my mom um Um, I isolated myself from the world due to the experience that I went through in foster care. Um, And I ended up uh, reuniting with one of the very few friends that I had in foster care system. And that ended up... um, I ended up hanging out with the wrong crowd, um, mingling with the wrong people, and it led to extremely immoral lifestyle um, living with girlfriends before marriage um, I used people um, became very selfish um, and I, I lived this way for many years um, and then wasn't until 2016 one of my friends who I met at, at um, while I was working at a gas station he told me about Christ, Um, so I started watching YouTube videos, um, trying to find out everything I could, Um, and while searching for this truth, I found out that there were uh, so many different teachings and doctrines and beliefs about Christ, uh, (laughs) I didn't know what the truth was, and I didn't know what to believe, so um, one day I came across a YouTube channel called Fighting for the Faith sounded intriguing, so I clicked on it. Um, that led to multiple videos. Uh, clicked on one video, which led to multiple videos, and I ended up binge-watching. Binge um, I was intrigued by this. Uh, it was different than any of the other channels that I was watching. Um, this guy um, preached with an open Bible.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> so it was completely different from what I was hearing at the other church as well that I was with um, so I started searching YouTube for similar channels and that's when I found Grace to You John MacArthur and uh, Paul Washer and other people like Bodie um, and so I started um, I left that church and I started finding an, uh, searching for another church and that's when I came across uh, Crossway Christian Church in Nashville, New Hampshire um, their doctrinal statement looked legit so Checked them out and, uh, continued, um, searching YouTube for truth. And when, um, when I joined this church, they baptized me three days after I joined. No questions asked. Um, so I was about there, uh, there for about a year until the pandemic hit and then they closed down and all this time I was still living a sinful life, uh, lifestyle, believing that I was saved, um. Shortly after I met uh, what would be my last girlfriend, Um, and we started dating, unfortunately she was still married to another man, Um, and she separated and eventually we moved in together. Um, And for the next year, I would still be watching YouTube videos, thinking about going back to Crossway and found out they were uh, a false church, so... I went online, um, and I found out that the Master's Seminary had a church finder, so I um, went on and started searching for a church that taught um, what John MacArthur taught, and uh, lo and behold, I found this place, FBC, Fellowship Bible Church, Uh, looked at the doctrinal statement and found out that uh, Pastor Terry here graduated from the Master's Seminary, so I thought, well, he graduated from the Master Seminary, then he must, he must preach biblical truth. So, <laughs> so I came and I checked it out, and um, I heard I heard one of the messages while I was in the parking lot. I didn't want to interrupt the service, so I came in afterwards. And I talked with Pastor Terry, told him about my situation. I'll never forget what he said to me. He said four words. He said, you need to run. Um, and then he went on and said, uh, you profess Christ. And you need to be faithful and obedient. But I wasn't willing to leave the situation, so I didn't come back for a while. I ended up coming back a few months later. And I stayed a couple weeks and left again, still due to my unwillingness to leave the situation. Um, My relationship was getting worse. Um, Life was getting worse. So... So during that time, um, my girlfriend and I were um, disagreeing with things. Uh, she didn't, I was continuing to listen to sermons on YouTube, and I actually started reading the Bible. Um, and uh, she didn't like that. Um, we started arguing. And uh, this went on for a few weeks. And after um, talking with a few of the members here, I finally decided it was time to do the right thing and end the relationship. So I ended the relationship. She wasn't happy at all. Um, my mother, uh, she had called my mother, and my mother—I uh, pray, praise God for this. Uh, she offered one of us to sleep, uh, spend the night at her house, and I quickly uh, jumped at that. Um, and the next morning, I went went out for coffee, um, sat in the parking lot for a few hours, and started thinking about what I was going to do. Um, Wasn't coming up with anything, so I just gave up and just cried out, "Lord, help me." Um, I went back to the apartment, and her friend she had a friend over, and and, um, they were packing her stuff. Um, So I believe that the Lord heard heard my cry and worked it in, um, worked it out so that she would um, be moving out. Um, I spent the rest of the day processing what, trying to process what had just happened. Um, I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, and the first thing that I immediately did was I repented. Um, I went to the Lord and I repented, and I professed faith in Christ. I said, Lord, Lord, forgive Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Um, And I was saved right then and there. And since then, I have been coming. That was April 5th, Tuesday morning, April 5th of this year. And since then, for about four months, I've been coming here on a consistent basis, and I want to praise praise the Lord for um, putting me in the spot that I'm in right now. Um, and this church is this this body of believers; they, they've welcomed you guys have welcomed me with open arms, and I've never had that, I've never had that before in my life. Um, and I thank all of you for being so loving and caring and challenging me. Um, and comforting me while in in the... well, I've been, been here. So, thank you.
0: Anytime somebody says, You said four words to me, I always cringe. <laughs> or use that pray heavenly father once again we bow before you you are the one worthy of all praise for these two gentlemen their testimonies of faith in you their public profession to trust you to have repented of their sins turned from their wickedness embrace Jesus Christ we're thankful that you promise that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart you save us we we have salvation confessing that And Jesus is Lord, that He died and rose again from the dead, and He is living today, and we have life in His name. So we're grateful that uh, each of these are, are new in your family, and we want to continue to be an instrument with them, and in your hands, in their life, Lord, we pray for their growth. We pray that they would be great men of God for your glory. However you're going to shape them and mold them, we trust that you will do it for your glory and for their good and that their testimony would go far and wide, that many would be reached by it. So thank you for that. We ask your blessing on the rest of our night. In Jesus' name.
3: Amish church. <laughs> uh, just need a hat, right? <laughs> Thanks, Al. Who said I look Amish? Who said that? Is that Henry? No? Anyway. Oh man. All right. What a great night. What a such great testimonies to to the power of Christ. And the power of God. Well. Well, let's then spend some time in the Word. It's been good to hear about the work that God and only God can do in the heart of the lives of his people, Sebastian and Mark tonight. Uh, every baptism really is the is the same in what we hear about how God changes the heart of a person to new life in Jesus Christ. As Jesus put it, to be born again. He said, you must be born again. And yet, in the same On the other side of the coin, every baptism is unique as it comes with unique set of circumstances and life experiences and how it really is a picture of how God moves and brings people and events together by his his provident and sovereign plan. The Bible tells us has been set forth before the foundation of the world. And to have a a life, eternal life-changing encounter with this provident, holy, and sovereign God and King of creation. So it goes far beyond just getting in a tank and hearing some messages and professing Christ. It has a larger, way larger picture as to what happens in salvation. It's God doing the work. So it is good to hear how God takes sinful, rebellious people and changes them and makes them his. We call it the, his trophies of grace. calls them his own. So baptism has a, a great significance for the individual believer, for the church, and even for those who are not yet a Christian. Scripture teaches in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that he says, Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not A result of works that no one may boast. It is all of God, nothing of us. No good work saves a person. Baptism does not save a person or wash away sin in any way. Christians are often, uh, baptism is always also a witness to those who are outside the faith, not yet a Christian. It's a testimony, as you've heard and seen tonight, and Christians often ask ask friends and relatives, some of whom may be non-Christians, to come to witness their, their baptism. And baptism often raises questions in the minds of those who are unfamiliar with baptism. Questions come up like this. Baptism is a strange or odd thing for people to do. Why do Christians do that? What is the significance of baptism? Well, baptism, if that's maybe your question tonight, you are here and you don't know much about baptism. Um, Baptism is a powerful witness of the work of Christ in saving a person from God. Yes, saving a person from God and saving a person for God. Saved from God's wrath. And saved for God's care and use. Baptism is also an act of obedience. Obedience is a characteristic of followers of Christ. In Matthew 28 20 Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Baptism is an act of obedience both for the new believer and the church. We baptize because we desire to obey Christ's command. It is an external, public display of an internal transformation. According to Romans chapter 6, our baptism is a witness to the saving work of Christ as it points to his death, burial, and resurrection. As a symbol, baptism visually reenacts and identifies with his burial in the grave and his resurrection to life. When we see a new believer walk into the water, go under the water, and come up from the water, we are seeing what Jesus did to save us in his death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a a witness of what happens At salvation. Romans 6.3 says this, that we are baptized into Christ Jesus and into his death. In Romans chapter 6, we see that baptism symbolizes that Christ died, was buried, rose again, so that the believer has died, has been buried to self, and now has new life in Christ Jesus. Baptism symbolizes that he or she is a, a new creature in Christ. Being a new creature in Christ is mirrored even in the word baptism. The original word, baptizo, in the Greek language, was originally used in the first century to describe dipping cloth into dye. When the cloth came out of the dye vat, looking much different than when it went in. Same picture. In the same way, being a new creature in Christ means that our lives have changed. We heard about some of that change in Mark and Sebastian tonight. Powerful testimonies of what God does in the heart of a believer, of a person. I cannot change your heart. You cannot change your heart. I had five, five sons, and I could never change their heart. You It only takes a work of our powerful God. As believers, we are given a new Christ-like nature the change becomes evident to those with whom they interact with. It must. If there is no change, then there is no life. That's what the Bible teaches. Baptism is a moving representation of Christ's work of atonement. The first century church took baptism very seriously, and we should as well. Why? Well, because at baptism, the new believer is making a commitment. It's a public profession of a commitment, not only to Christ, but to the local church. He or she is identifying publicly with this particular assembly. This church also is taking a responsibility for the new believer. Baptism and church membership is like having a new member in the family. Baptism has always been a vital part of the true Christian church, let us never weaken the meaning or practice of this command of our Lord. Baptism is a time of celebration for the believer and for the church. Every time we baptize, we should recognize the importance of this public commitment of faith as Jesus continues to build his church. If you are here as one who professes to be a Christian tonight, and you have not been baptized, I ask you why not? I've just gone through some of the major implications and importance of it. As a Christian, you are commanded by Christ to be baptized. Or well, maybe you're here tonight as an invited guest, but not yet a Christian. I'm glad you came. To witness his event. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we read about the encounter that Jesus had with a very devout religious leader of his day named Nicodemus. He was a, a ruler. And in John 3.3, 3, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice cannot. a possibility there. Being a religious person will not save you from God's judgment. Jesus would say the same thing to you tonight. If you are a religious person, you are just as doomed as the rank pagan living in the world today. You must be born again. Born from above or born from God, of God, You must receive a spiritual birth. If you are not born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus said you must be born again. Everyone must be born again. Why? Well, the Bible teaches us that all are born spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. And we are sinners, and therefore we are children of wrath. You may say, well, the audacity in God to to judge me and to throw me in a place called fire. No, I would say the audacity is that you sin against a holy, righteous God and are expecting him to sweep it under the rug. He cannot. He cannot. His character will not allow it. He is perfectly holy, righteous, and just in everything he does. And so the audacity lies with us, not God. Well, maybe you are here and you think that God will not judge you because you are a good person. Well, let's see. Let's see about that. Let's see if you can pass the good person test. There is a good person test. Can you? It's only four questions tonight. There are many, many questions, but I'll only only lay out four. And uh, if you fail one, you fail the test. First of all, the first one, the Bible says that if we break one of God's laws, we are guilty of breaking all of them. The point is that you are guilty. That's the point. So the first question would go like this. Question number one, have you ever loved something more than you have loved God? Well, the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 calls that idolatry. It's idolatry. If you answered yes to that question, you've loved something more than you've loved God, then you are an idolater by your own admission. Question number two, have you ever used God's name in an irreverent or dishonorable way in your life? Again, Exodus chapter 20 calls that blasphemy. If you answer yes, then you admit that you are a Blasphemer. Question number three, have you ever lusted after a person in a sexual way? Jesus said that whoever looks with lust in his or her heart is guilty of adultery or fornication. Just thinking about it makes you guilty before God. Question number four. If you said you hate someone, have you ever hated anyone? Jesus says you're guilty of murder in his eyes. How do you stand? Guilty or innocent? How are you doing so far? Feeling good? (laughs) If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not a good person. You are not a good person. You are guilty, condemned sinner before a holy God who does not tolerate sin in his presence. He does not, he will not, and he cannot. Everything we do, no matter how good we may think it is, is contaminated and stained by sin. God, even God views us as filthy and unclean in his sight. Listen to what Isaiah 64 says. The prophet Isaiah Says this, wrote this, for all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. We are sinful and unrighteous. Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 9 says this, verse 9, beginning in verse 9, the Bible also teaches that we are all under sin, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one, there is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. Someone may say, well, I was seeking God and I, I came to this church. No, 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 God was seeking you and brought you here. No one seeks after God. If you say you seek after God, that's a lie because Paul writes that none seek after God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is no one who does good, there is not even one. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a pretty bleak picture, right? If you think about these things, we've seen eight points. Just in a few seconds here. We are born dead to God. We are unclean before God. Our righteous deeds are like filthy garment before God. Our iniquities, like the wind, take us away from God. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who does good. All have sinned. All have violated God's commandments. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, then the Bible teaches that you are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. You are a child of wrath destined for eternal judgment in a place called hell, also known as the lake of fire, for eternity. That's pretty bad news. Pretty bleak picture. But there's always a but, right? Let's turn a corner here. But the gospel can change that. The gospel can change that. The word gospel means good news. There is good news. See, the Bible commands people everywhere to repent from sin. Repent simply means to change your mind and lifestyle from living a life of sin and turn from it to God. The idea of having a change of mind and direction for your life. The Bible teaches that whoever repents from living a life of sin and puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did in paying the sin debt on the cross, he will give them eternal life. He will give that individual eternal life. And notice the word eternal. Eternal, it's forever life. John 3.16, familiar verse to many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Or everlasting life, John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. It's a possession. You have it. It's ha- he has it. But there's an eternal consequence for not perfectly obeying God's commands. In this, he goes. John, Jesus goes on. He says, "But who does not obey the Son? Whoever does not obey the Son will not see life." but the wrath of God abides on him. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42 43, gives us a glimpse of what the wrath of God looks like. In 41, uh, Jesus says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire, in that place, there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, God offers a solution to the sin problem your sin problem, my sin problem. He offers a solution to that a pardon, actually, a pardon. Free of charge for sinners like you and me. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. Cost him his son on a cross. See, Jesus paid the price with his life on the cross. But the but the idea here is that clemency is on his terms, not ours. Right? We don't get to choose. God gives us that. We don't just have it by nature. Jesus is God's means of that pardon, and here's why. He personally paid the penalty in place of his people. He took the rap for our crimes. No one else did that. No one else can do that. Only Jesus. So, I'll close in a couple of questions here. So what what will you do with this tonight? What you've heard, what will you do? How will you process this? Either you take God's pardon by placing your trust in Christ alone for your salvation and go free from the eternal wrath to eternal life. Or... You turn it down and pay for your sin yourself in eternal judgment. There's no middle grounds here. There's no, there's no holding place when you die that you go and pay for a while, then you get out. There's no get out of jail free card at all. It's an either or situation. Well, how do you get this of, pardon? You might ask. How do you get this pardon? Well, it's very simple, really a very simple transaction. Just simply acknowledge what the Bible teaches, that you are a sinner and that you are dead in trespasses and sin before a holy God, and that you need his forgiveness and then receive it by faith. Simple faith, simple trust, simple belief. Just believe it. You need His forgiveness? Receive it by faith. Change your mind about sin? That's repentance. Turn from your sin and self to God and ask for His forgiveness. And God promises that He will give it. God will remove your sin debt. He will forgive you. He will adopt you into His family. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When a person comes to God, he or she can say with absolute confidence, as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Romans 10, 9 says this, That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from the wrath to come. It's coming. You cannot escape it. It's coming. He not only saves us from the wrath to come, but he makes us righteous. Romans 4, 5. He makes us as righteous as Jesus is. So when Jesus sees you, he doesn't see you clothed in filthy rags. He sees you in the righteousness of his Son. That's called imputation. What a glorious transaction. Christ's entire righteousness has legal consequences for all those who are in him. And this is explained by means of imputation found in Romans 5.19. Through the obedience of one, the many will be made righteous. So I'm going to close with this admonition of hope for you. A couple of verses and we're done. John 6.37, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. I will certainly not cast out. John 6.40, just a couple of verses ahead. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I, myself, Jesus, will raise him up at the last day. More glorious hope. If you are not a Christian, tonight my hope in prayer in this, is that you will act on these truths that you have heard tonight. It's urgent. It's urgent. I don't want to be a gloom or doom, but you know, you go out to 102, a semi could come down and you're gone, right? It happens, you hear it all the time in the news, stuff like this. You just don't know. It's urgent. Because once you breathe your last, you stand face to face with the holy, righteous God, either in the righteousness of Jesus and he sees you, or you stand in your filthy rags. If you stand your filthy rags, you are doomed for eternity. So what will you do with the message of Jesus Christ the gospel, Sebastian, like that word the gospel. What will you do with it tonight? You've just heard it. I can't be any maybe I can be clear I don't know I tried to you know really get this clear, but um, embrace it. Just trust Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you're sorry. You apologize for what you've done, and you want his forgiveness. His promise is he'll give it to you. Just like that. So pray with me. Father, we thank you for this glorious gospel, how it changes us, it molds us, shapes us to be like your son. It's so precious. So we pray for what we've heard tonight, that it would go in deep into the heart of us as individuals, for us who who know you and are known by you, that it would be fresh and new and vibrant in our own hearts, that it would cause us and stir us to better serve you, love you more as a result of this great truth. And we pray for those who don't know you tonight in this room, We ask you, by your mercy, your grace, and kindness, that you'd open up their understanding, give them eyes to see, your heart to believe, and that they would embrace this forgiveness, this rich forgiveness that comes only from you, all because of the the wonderful transaction that Jesus paid on the cross at Calvary, once and for all, for all who will believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.